Hello, and welcome to a roundtable discussion on the Topic of Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, I'm joined by guests for a lively conversation on a topic we hope you'll find interesting. In this roundtable discussion, I'm joined by my sister Kay Kellum. How are you tonight? Very, very tired. How I are you? I can understand that. Uh, what we're going to be talking about in this roundtable discussion is the Wizard World Austin 2015 convention that was on October 30th and 31st. This is the evening of the 31st, Halloween evening. A nice, relatively dry Halloween. Yes. Cannot be said for yesterday, though. No, yesterday made national news with record floodwaters. Not as bad as our Memorial Day weekend this year, but nearly as bad with floodwaters coming up out of the banks of rivers and into our streets. So with floodwaters adjusting up or... With floodwaters coming up out of the banks of rivers and into the streets yesterday, turning the streets into creeks and rivers, uh, we decided to not venture into canoes to get to the convention center. Well, and the irony is I had taken the day off from work. I suspect quite a few people had. But it's a Friday-Saturday convention, uh, or at least it was this year, which personally I'm not a big fan of. If you're going to do a two-day convention, do Saturday, Sunday. But okay, fine, whatever. And then the Friday wasn't starting until noon, but I didn't realize that until well after I'd put in for my vacation time. And then when it came that morning, it was monsoon season. Yeah, when I went to bring my trash can in from the curb because it was my trash day, there was 10 inches of rain inside the trash can. So to me, that confirms monsoon season. Yeah, it's not just that it was raining. It was raining pretty bad. And like you said, earlier in the year, we'd had a lot of flooding downtown and such. So when uh, a friend, uh, Trevor, actually, one of the listeners, had made it down there, spent, I think it was like 50 minutes from the time he texted me that he had made it down there to the time he said he was leaving and he was underwhelmed. Now, I think he was going there hoping for a bit more uh, buying opportunities. Um, And uh, when we got there today, uh, I was, it took us what, uh, 45 minutes to an hour maybe to walk the floor. Not including our Sally. Not including our Sally. We did that later. And I would say a lot of the reason it took about that long to do was not the size of the floor. Because, frankly, it was not huge. But it was – and it wasn't that the aisles were particularly narrow. It's just the people weren't moving. Yeah. It seemed like I was always stuck behind a couple of people that moved with no sense of purpose, would just – stop and, and and look at a booth not with any real intent or anything well and almost every aisle had a booth with a spin wheel yes or a uh, a contest of some fashion this is i think one of the things that uh trevor would was kind of mentioning when he had texted me yesterday about how a lot of the booths were not comic book focused mm-hmm. were not even geek culture focused mm-hmm. But we saw some, uh, the local newspaper had it, the Sheriff's uh, Association or whatever mm-hmm. was doing recruiting there, which, okay, interesting. Um, there was a, a healthcare group there. There was a, a two-booth uh, thing on win a trip to San Diego Comic-Con. There was a five-hour energy. There was, I'm trying to think what Lift. else. Lift. 
at two booths. That's a competitor Uber. I don't have any objection to these people being there. But when you've got, uh, geez, I'm trying to think how many. Well, you've got essentially five aisles that have, see, maybe 30 booths total. total. Um, so you're talking about 150 booths max. And mm-hmm. that's being generous. Because again, Uber took uh, two of them. Lift. Or lifted, I'm sorry. Action Labs took four. There was the uh, DeLorean for uh, the the Michael J. Fox Foundation mm-hmm. uh, getting proceeds for them, uh, which was cool. Yeah. And good timing and stuff. But they've been in other conventions we've seen. Mm-hmm. And the uh, Supernatural car. The Supernatural car, the Land Speeder. Mm-hmm. So there were a couple of things that were just big. Yeah. The uh, Hulk uh, Buster. The Hulk uh, Buster armor, yeah. But I saw a handful of places to buy comics. Again, not that I was looking for that. One place to buy, you know, bags and boards and that kind of stuff. Uh, the typical places to buy stuff for either cosplay or swords. Uh, I'm not even really thinking I saw anything for lightsabers this time. There might have been. I thought I saw one lightsaber booth, but it may just be that I saw a lot of Jedis. So I may be mixed up I on that. I certainly saw a lot of Jedis. I saw a lot of lightsabers. I didn't see a booth for one. Yeah. Uh, the Austin Browncoats, of course, had their very good booth. Really, though, the only publisher that was there was Action Labs. Yeah. And I was frankly a little surprised by that. One, that they were the ones that were there versus, say, uh, Red 5 Comics, which last I looked I thought was based out of Houston. So it's within arm's reach. But again, weather. Mm. Um, and uh, I think Zenoscope had shown in the past and or... Um, one or two other smaller publishers. Well, and going back to weather, I don't know where Brent Spiner was coming in from, but he canceled because of weather. Yes. They um, had, I think, a number of cancellations. Um, Jason David Franks was saying at the end of his panel that his flight home had been canceled. So he was driving back down to, I guess, the Houston area or somewhere in that vicinity. Uh, because I think he'd promised his kids or someone that he'd be home late this evening, and he had figured he could drive if he left right after the panel. He's got a wife and a daughter it. and uh, a business to go back to. Yeah. Because, I mean, he runs a karate school. Yeah. Or a martial arts dojo of some sort. I yeah. don't know if it's karate or exactly what it is. Um, I think he's actually, yeah, he's, he's again, got a, a very, you know, good career doing that stuff, but wants to be there for the fans and stuff. Um, so I think they had some cancellations. They had... Well, and at least uh, four panels were canceled. Um, the rest... Mike Tyson's, Brent Span- uh, uh, Spiner's. Um, there the was... wrestler Cade. Yeah. There um, were a handful, we noticed, just in the one or two rooms we were looking at that had some cancellations. Yeah. So I think part of it was Halloween weekend. They ran afoul of some scheduling ske- uh, of filming schedules for some of the guests. Uh, the weather stuff, um, it was just a, a bad confluence of events, mm-hmm. I think, that led to some of that. Mm-hmm. So I didn't find their guest uh, lineup as impressive as it usually is. Well, and the fact that Morena Bachran, currently on Gotham, had to back out because of filming. I mean, on the one hand, that sucks. On the other hand, yay, she's got another episode at least of Gotham coming. Well, and again, Brent Spiner, uh, he's not working currently, but I mean, long time on track. So big name. Exactly. So I think they had plans for some big name people. It just didn't all pan out, uh, which happens. Mm -hmm. And And Bruce Campbell 
was there, though I didn't see him. Uh, Ted Raimi, I believe, was there. Mm-hmm. I who, didn't see him. But no. we also didn't really go into the autograph area and didn't really go hunt these people down. True. But and I saw video evidence that... Uh, uh, um, I don't know who you're thinking Not of. Ted Raimi, the other one you just mentioned. Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell, sorry. just totally blanked on the name. Uh, I had seen a... Uh, I, since we didn't make it there yesterday, I, I hit up YouTube just to see if anyone had posted. Ah. And somebody had, and Bruce Campbell was kind of in the background or whatever. He apparently photobombed them. Ah, nice. Was, uh, yeah. Well, and um, Jason Isaacs was there mm-hmm. and was apparently very charming and nice to everyone who met him. One of my mm-hmm. friends had gone through and stuff. So I gather the autograph area, which, like you said, we didn't venture into. But I gather that was a great deal of fun for people. Yeah. Well, and it's one of those things that I didn't go to this show with the expectation of really spending any money. Mm. It's not the kind of show I would typically do that. Now, I've had that at some other shows and wound up spending some money. But it comes down to, is there somebody who's got, you know, maybe some Super Sentai toys or something else cool that I just hadn't seen or something like that? And the minute I saw the floor plan here, which was smaller than it has been in past years. At least a third smaller. Yeah. I was pretty pretty sure that I, I wasn't probably going to spend that much, which, again, I usually don't spend that much, even in San Diego, mm-hmm. you know? So that wasn't surprising. And I wound up going to quite a few panels today. Well, and I really enjoyed the panels we went to. So before we get to that, okay, we started our day a little bit late, had to go pick up my comics from the UPS store um, and, uh, and get some cash so I could get the car out of Hawk at the parking garage. Um, apparently, I usually don't have much cash on me. So we drive down, got there. Um, this year they had the uh, the place, the registration stuff inside the hall, whereas they had had it in the lobby in past years. So that was a little different. Mm-hmm. Uh, not different, bad or good, just different. Uh, it took really no time at all to get the press badges. That was they seemed to have the the registration stuff running very smoothly. Mm-hmm. Um, went in, walked the floor uh, for a little bit, and then headed up to uh, the the first panel we went to today. Mm-hmm. Now, this is one that a uh, college buddy of mine was on, and it was uh, Creating Worlds in Storytelling. And uh, my friend Hall Hood, which I knew back in college, is now the uh, lead writer over at BioWare. And he was on it, and it's like, ah, he's been successful. Let's hear what he has to say. It was fun. He uh, did well, as did the other people on there. And it was very much, you know... What's it like to be a writer, having some words of advice for people? And a lot of it is, you know, write. It's like, that's that's really good advice, but people need to hear that constantly. Research your stuff, know what you're talking about, or at least know enough of what you're talking about to sound like you know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But there are also points where you are not writing a science paper. Yes. You're writing fiction. Yes. And Hall had a really good thing of, well, we had to call it something Isotope 5. It sounds cool. And he was very afraid. Oh, what does Isotope 1 through 4 do? What will Isotope 6 do? And it's like, it doesn't matter. It sounds cool, you know? So very blatant technobabble and stuff. And again, he's writing for uh, the uh, the Star Wars, the old Republic game over at Bioware and stuff. And he's longtime Star Wars fan. So perfect match for him. Um, that was that was an interesting panel. Mm-hmm. And then we pretty much bugged out as that ended. So I didn't really have a chance to talk with him because we had made plans to do a late lunch with uh, Derek Royal of the Comics Alternative. So we met up with him downstairs, headed over to uh, Frank, which is a uh, uh, one of the places to eat downtown. Really, the only time I go there is, is during this convention. 
Uh, and it's it's a hot dog, uh, sausage type place. It's got gluten free buns, stuff like that. Uh, gave us a chance to catch up with Derek, see he how he was doing. Now he had driven down from Dallas. Hmm. How long did he say that took? It is normally, which is important, about a four hour drive for him, and it took closer to seven. Yeah, I think it took him like two hours just to get through Temple. Yeah. It's like wow. So I'm glad he made it down safe and sound and whatnot, but that oh mm-hmm. had to be a, a, a not so fun drive. And here we were not even wanting to do across town to get into downtown. Yes. Yeah. Now if he had made it I I, I probably would have, but I I yeah. I don't feel so bad because again, it was a mess down here, monsoon season. So we did that and then after we uh got back to the convention center, I guess all of us uh walked around Artist Alley for a bit. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I really noticed about Artist Alley is some terrific artists, but more in the illustrator versus comic book storytelling artist mm. venue. And I don't mean that as any sort of disparagement so much as what they were selling was illustrations of, you know, this character or that character or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So for me to really want to buy any of their stuff, I had to like their art style. There were some I did, some I did not. Mm-hmm. There were some that almost felt like they were almost doing like an abstract, almost ink blot sort of at one point um, thing, which had its own coolness to it, but not what I'm looking for. And there are others where I like the stuff, but it's like, yeah, that version of Spock doesn't really do anything for me. Or, oh, it's got the Power Rangers, that's cool, but, eh. you know, in, none of them really had the combination of I like the art style, I like the subject, and I like the depiction of it. And did you like the uh, the medium they chose to do it in? In some cases, not so much. There were a few that were very glittery and some stuff like that. And it's like, there is an audience for that. Mm-hmm. I am not that audience. My inner 12-year-old girl liked the one that was all pink glitter. Well, there have been some past conventions we've gone to where I've seen a couple of really good, like, Doctor Who mm-hmm. with all but the most recent Doctor or something. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, if the guy had done it somehow where you could just drop in the next Doctor as it comes, that would be cool. Or if somebody, seriously, if somebody had a stack of, like, 20 or however many it would be for the Power Ranger teams, mm-hmm. and they were well-done, iconic type things... I could see spending some serious money there. That would be cool. Mm-hmm. But none of them really hit that for me. So we walked around a bit for that. I think that was around the time Derek kind of took off to go check a panel or something. And then we headed up to uh, Jason David Frank's panel. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things we noticed at the panel earlier that Hall was on uh, was there were four people on the stage. There were four mics. And Hall's, unfortunately, was the one that was cutting out. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that sucks. Uh, And, of course, there was nobody there to fix it. Now, when we went to Jason David Frank's panel, he was the original Green Ranger, became the original White Ranger, then the Red Zeo Ranger, then the Red Turbo Ranger, and then later the Black uh, Dino Thunder Ranger, um, and most recently was seen as really the Green and the White Ranger in when they brought back all the other Rangers in Megaforce. Anyways, doesn't matter. He, I don't know if they just didn't have the mic set up loud enough or if he wasn't talking. I think part of it is he wasn't talking well into it. But we were uh, not at the back of the room, but near the back. Mm-hmm. And it was hard to hear him. Yeah. To the point is it was very tempting to tell him, you know, could you please speak into the microphone? 
Yeah. But I've seen him at past conventions, and it's like, you can lead a horse to water. <laughs> the best you could do is dunk him. It's like, I didn't think that would go well. And not that he's a bad guy, but... Well, no, but it was definitely a case of he can project. And when he stood up and knew there wasn't a mic, I could hear him better. Yes. And that was the unfortunate thing, because he knew there was a mic, and he knew it ought to be set up correctly, and that he was speaking at a reasonable distance in front of it and appropriately, and it should be catching his voice. He knew he should be being heard. One of the things I came out of this convention feeling, and part of it from those two panels, part of it from, from one later in the day, was they really ought to have something you could just put up on a wall in the back of a room. It's a sound meter. Mm. And basically, you calibrate that such that if people are talking at an appropriate level through the PA system, it's at a nice, this is where you want it to be level. Mm -hmm. If it's too low, they can see that. If it's too high, they can see that. Mm -hmm. um, now, whether they do anything about it's another point, but it's like, it seems like a simple device to put together in a very useful one. Yeah. Um, and I think also, like in one of the other panels, the mics were not all set at the right levels. One was too hot, one was not. So there was a little bit of that. Um, now, after that panel, we switched over to a different room to catch uh, the art of Saturday morning cartoon production with uh, animator director Tom Cook. Mm -hmm. uh, now, that one we caught, we missed like the first 15 minutes of. Yeah. But when we got in there, they were starting to go through the process of the writing, the storyboarding, really the part I was interested in. Mm -hmm. I think he started with kind of his career or whatever. But he had worked at Filmation on He-Man, She-Ra, uh, and just had some really great examples of kind of the way they produced those cartoons. The ones we grew up on. Yeah. And, of course, it was, you've got the cell, you've got the, the you got to paint the, the, the stuff on the cell, you've got the layers of it, you got, here's the pegs to register, you know, register them and stuff so things don't fall out of line. Things that are completely not necessary for today's all digital productions. And he made that point later, mm -hmm. you know, because back then you would have 150 people or whatever working on mm -hmm. something. Well, and those cells that you're stacking up under a camera that's shooting directly down on it with these two lights aimed a 45 degree angle at it. And you're shooting frame by frame, 12, what do you say, 12 frames per second? Yeah, because you're taking two shots of every frame. And it'd be 24 per second or whatever. But, you know, how you need the two lights at the 45 degree angle because you're stacking six of these and the upper layers could cause shadows on the lower levels. And mm -hmm. we've all seen cartoons where, you know, this is out of registration or you got the shadow or, you know, this, that and the other. Well, and that there are six shades of every color. That I found interesting because as you got lower in the stack things would get darker because you've got more stuff above it. So, for instance, there were six shades of the color of Fred Flintstone's face, depending on where in the stack his face was being laid. What I think he could have done a better job explaining, or maybe it was, I don't think he would have done it before we got in there, though, was why six, what's on the six, mm. is... Somebody, I mean, is the bottom obviously always going to be the background? Then why do you need to build up some? Are they individual characters? I mean, well, the top was going to be what was changed, right? But what are the other five? Mm -hmm. I was unclear on a few of the things. I think it was dependent on the scene. 
So basically, the background was the background for the scene. And then based on the scene, they decided what's going to be changed, what's going to stay stable the longest. Mm-hmm. And then they painted accordingly. Interesting. That's something with a couple of simple of examples. Yeah. A, a slide, and he had a slide deck. Could have said this would be the background, this would be this, this would be this. But he probably just doesn't have any of that available yeah. to him. Yeah. Um, but it was very interesting and educational. Yeah. Uh, thing and we had seen him in I'm thinking Toronto because mm, I, I had right. seen and his was one of the booths I kind of stopped at in Artist Alley because it had the uh, the challenge of the Super Friends with the Super Friends and the Legion of Doom. That's right. And frankly, if he'd had a very clear price tag around that, I might have picked that up. But it was crowded. It wasn't interesting enough for me to spend that much time figuring out. So. But that's that's in future conventions. I may take a closer mm-hmm. look at that. Well, and he, one of the things he talked about was the ways filmation saved money and how those ways of saving money kept animation in America longer. Well, because they were competing with essentially almost slave labor wages overseas, um, or at least comparatively cutthroat. So they basically decreed that 25% of their stuff would be reused animation. Mm-hmm. And how it was kind of a feather in one's cap. If you got something, it's like the first time, you know, He-Man battled Beast-Man. You know, he'd come up with a, okay, Beast-Man's going to crack the whip. He-Man's going to catch it and then twirl the guy around and throw him or something. And then the head of the studio, uh, uh, Lushiner or whatever, uh, or forget the names of the guys, but one of the head guys is, oh, I like that. That's that's the regular one. Anytime they go up, that's what we use. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. More cool if they'd gotten, you know, residuals or something, I imagine. but. A feather in their cap, nonetheless. Um, so I, he had some good stories. He'd done some some fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought that was a, a really good presentation. Uh, he came in prepared. He answered questions well. Um, mm-hmm. So that was, like I said, that was that was a fun one. Yeah, he had well organized and planned out both slide deck and speech. Mm-hmm. And and again, it was one of those he knew what he knew, told what he knew, and was very gracious that, you know, that he was able to be talking about this, you know, 20 whatever years later after these things had long gone off the air because mm-hmm. we're still interested. So he must have done something right. Yeah. And he flat out thanked the crowd for having watched the cartoons originally and for still appreciating and caring about mm-hmm. the work he'd done that he knew that if we hadn't cared, he wouldn't get to sit in that room and talk to us. So thank you. Well, and he also knew that the way stuff was done now was a very physically different mm-hmm. methodology. Yeah. Um, and there were pros and cons to, to both ways and how kind of that old school thing, because it was so labor intensive and cumbersome, uh, it's just not going to get done again, probably. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's nothing magical about it. You tell good stories, it doesn't matter how you do it. Mm-hmm. So that was, like I said, fun panel. Then uh, there was from Cap's Shield to Agents of Shield to Ant-Man. Marvel Comics at 76 uh, with Danny Fingeroth and uh, Paul Benjamin. And this was an interesting panel uh, that Fingeroth had put together. He had a, a slide deck really going from the very, very beginning of, of what became Marvel to present day. Well, and that part intrigued me, the what became Marvel. Yes, because it started as uh, Atlas became Timely, became Marvel. So I think it was in that order. Um so it had gone through some name changes and some stuff there. But all of these panels are 45 minutes. Mm, 76 years, 45 minutes. <laughs> that's an amb- 
ambitious topic to condense. If you're just doing the history of Marvel, okay, you can gloss over some stuff. You don't need to mention Alpha Flight, and he didn't. That's fine. Um, although that was, um, you could argue the importance of that comic. Um, but he was also at times comparing the characters to the depiction in the the movies and TV shows. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, okay, sure, he missed the David Hasselhoff Nick Fury. But he got Jean-Luc Picard in there. It was one of those things that he had too much content for a 45-minute talk. Mm. He had a few things out of chronological order, which kind of annoyed me. And he, I would have liked it if he had had clear kind of, you know, okay, at this point we hit this year. Yeah, if he'd said, and now welcome to the 1930s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, though I didn't even honestly, well, I mean, I know he's saying 76 years ago, but he didn't say we're starting in this year. Yeah, a couple of, of years on the slides would have helped. And it felt like most of it was more in the uh, 70s and earlier. Mm. By the time we hit the 80s, not only was he running out of time, his slide deck got more sparse. He really glossed over aspects of the 80s, the 90s, the aughts, and and today. And some of that I get, um, but it made it feel very kind of lopsided on the, the, the past of Marvel than the present. In a way, I thought that was good because I felt like that was what people like me knew the least about. So it was the most helpful information. No, and I get that. But it would have been nice if he'd covered a little bit more of the Ultimate Universe than just Ultimate Spider-Man. Oh, agreed. He covered that. He covered the Ultimates, which became the Avengers. But he didn't really mention that the Ultimate Fantastic Four is more or less the take from the current movie. Agreed. And some some things of that nature. He did a good job. Oh, yeah. But there was just so much material that it was hard for him to pick and choose. And he should have had, I think, better notes. Yes. Because as should be expected when you're covering seven or eight decades, there's going to be at some point during your presentation, you just blank out on the name. I do it all the time. But that's also part of why, were I doing that kind of a presentation, I would have had speaker notes showing on my screen versus the slide going up on the, the projection. Yeah. Um, well, and he had the, uh, for lack of a better term, the co-host of the panel, but it was someone who had never seen the slide deck before, who didn't know what was coming, and in a fashion was there to help him stay on track, but didn't know what the track was to help him stay on it. Yeah, the uh, the other person on the panel, um, Paul Benjamin, has done art on Amazing Spider-Man. He's worked on some of the video games. He was a name I recognized, but he was not somebody I felt intrinsically had a, a particular thing to add to this. Now, he had some great fun comments. I was going to say, he had a good sense of humor, and he seemed to be a guy who had the ability to keep Danny Fingeroth on track. But I think if he had been through the slide deck before, and if he were someone who knew the script and could have helped keep him moving, but that might have helped the panel. There wasn't a script. That yes. was clear. Yeah. And while I was watching the presentation, I was thinking, you know, if I were doing this on something, I would, again, have a slide deck. I would have some notes on it. I would be very organized. And at which point, you know, I could basically do a screencast of it and send it to the pan the convention and say, hey, would you like this panel or whatever? But at which point, why the hell not just put it up on YouTube or something? Mm-hmm. You know, it comes down to you want something a little more spontaneous almost for 
for a panel, but it's good to have the prepared material too. So it just, I don't know what most people at a convention would want out of that sort of a thing. But like I could see, you know, with the 40th uh, Super Sentai team coming up, maybe it'd be fun to do a panel on here's the history of the Super Sentai. Mm-hmm. Here's where this became Power Rangers. They skipped over this, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I could find some some images. I could put that kind of stuff together. I think I could do a, a halfway decent job. I'd probably mispronounce some of the Japanese names, but hey, go figure. Um, hell, I could get sound clips and work work around that. Um, but at what point is it too canned to to be a good mm-hmm. panel at a convention? Mm-hmm. And Danny certainly did not feel that way at all. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of funny at times when he was just grasping for the name of a particular actor or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, he totally botched who uh, uh, the current Daredevil on the Netflix was. Yeah. You know, and he, he was aware he was, but he's like, I can't remember, you know, it's okay, fine. Yeah. Well, and that comes from the going through dozens of characters and names and comic books and just trying to come up with so many facts in 45 minutes. Well, yeah, 45 minutes in, you're forgetting who the current Daredevil is, having covered, again, 76 years of Marvel characters, titles, publishing histories, creators. Yeah. You know, how certain characters have changed, what was important, where, when. Sure, you're going to miss a couple of things. Yeah. So, I I would be a little more worried if he hadn't. Yeah. That would have been tough. But, I mean, it goes back to that's why I would have had bullet notes, at least. Yeah. And that's just how I would go go about present uh, preparing a presentation. Yeah. He had a full slide deck and did a good job. Yeah. Um, and then afterwards, we stayed in that same room for a... Uh, 1940, World War II in comics, uh, the Joker, Robin, Flash, Captain America, Captain Marvel, and the Spirit with uh, was Fingeroth and a bunch of other people, um, most notably Derek Royal of the Comics Alternative, which is why we showed up for that. Um, but also, one of the other people had written a book on the psychology of Batman, and that was uh, Travis Langley. And he's somebody I had actually talked to a year or two back, I think before his book was published Hmm. in San Diego. So, nice guy. All Mm -hmm. of them are good guys and had some interesting stuff. But Fingeroth started by basically, this is what 1940 was. Mm -hmm. Here's what was going on in pop culture. Here's, you know, uh, where we were at in not quite being in the war yet and how it was uh, almost the best of times, the worst of times kind of a deal. Yeah. And then kind of here's what was going on in comics, you know, why do we think the Joker came out at the same time as, as Robin, one's a very upbeat, one's not, you know. Um, and I thought it was it was a, a good panel, a little all over the place at times, um, but it's also one that, just from the description, it was hard to tell if they were going to be talking about World War II era comics, comics coming out of the World War II era, if it was specifically 1940, mm-hmm. you know, there are many ways that sort of a, a description, a, a panel could have gone from there. Yeah. Well, and it was interesting that he was curious, basically, what was it about the events in the world in the year 1940 prompted the entertainment that came out, basically, in the year 1940? And because it was created in the year 1940, he included some of the entertainment that came out in early 41. Yeah, and it's one of those things that comics were so new at that time that, well, I think they would have been different if they had started three years earlier or later. Mm -hmm. It's not like there was something magic about that year. 
Whereas if you were to do something about comics that came out in, say, 1980, mm-hmm. the comics have been around 40 years at this point. Yeah. Why at this point are we starting to get things like All-Star Squadron, New Teen Titans, or, you know, Alpha Flight, or whatever? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. So it it takes on a little bit of a different, why did the course change, versus the course hasn't been set at that point. Yeah. Well, and part of what they talked about, though, was that was at a point when comic books did not go up against actual countries but went up against fictional countries and yet you had a comic book cover where captain america was punching hitler well there were very much aspects of we're not in the war yet but comics are pushing us that way yeah and a good discussion about why not have superman end the war you know why not have these things happen Mm -hmm. why why did cap who was punching hitler on the cover stay stateside fighting you know the uh, uh, disruptive elements here versus going and, and fighting the war. Well, and also an interesting discussion on two levels about overt and covert propaganda. Mm-hmm. In part because they were discussing the fact that culturally we we kind of wanted that overt propaganda because culturally we were in a much more patriotic place. Very nationalistic mindset. Absolutely. Yeah, it was it was a good discussion. They had uh, you know Derek with a PhD, uh, one or two. I think uh, Travis had a PhD. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danny, of course, historian on comics, has written a couple of books. So they they very much knew their stuff. Yeah. So I I thought that was a, a very educational panel. And again, all of these panels were fairly well attended. Well, and we were talking with Derek at dinner tonight. Yeah, because afterwards we we had dinner with him. Yeah. And one of the comments he made that kind of stuck with me was that he's been to other conventions where they're, and this is now my phrasing, they're top heavy, if you will, on the celebrity panels. Mm -hmm. And they don't have as many of these panels like we went to in the early hours with the world building and the creative panels. And I could have happily gone to an entire track of creator-run and creator-powered, if you will, panels. And I think, I mean, when they asked in that first panel for people to raise your hand, if you are a writer, an aspiring creator, whatever, easily two-thirds of the hands went up. And that was a mostly full room. Well, I think it is in a comic convention's best interests to be encouraging and serving the part of the audience that wants to create. Yeah. Because those are going to be, not all of them, Mm -hmm. even if it's just a percentage, literally a single percentage of them, those are going to be the people that will be drawing the crowds 10 or 20 years from now. Yeah. Well, and I think that so many of the people who attend these conventions have so much creativity in them, even if they aren't actively producing. Well, I remember going to San Diego and stuff with Hall. 20 some odd years ago. Yeah. You know, and now here he is on one of the panels. I've been on panels both at Wizard World Austin, the moderated panel at Wizard World Austin in the past, been on panels at San Diego before and stuff like that. Yeah. So it goes from some of the people who are going to the convention now are going to be the people that are, are part of the convention on the presenting side and stuff uh, decades from now. Yeah. And 
encouraging them, giving them the tools they need, the just the 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 feedback they need. Yeah. You know how to write, how to how to cosplay, how to do whatever. Yeah. You know, it's it's good tracks to have now. I'd have been very happy to go listen to Brent Spiner for an hour and a half, you yeah. know, 45 minutes or whatever. I was looking forward to that. I like seeing, you know, when we saw Shatner uh, at uh, San Antonio mm-hmm. last year, uh, Alan Tudyk. Um, mm-hmm. I-, I like seeing the celebrities. Yeah. But I also really have enjoyed some of the panels I've seen before. Uh, Jim Zub at one of the conventions I went to gave a really good panel on writing comics and such. And he did an amazing job of having a slide deck and having a discussion with his panel mm. and seeming like it's it's just kind of a natural flow of things, yet somehow he had that next slide ready. Mm-hmm. You know, brilliantly done. So mm-hmm. very good moderation of the panel and preparation of the panel without feeling rehearsed. That's very nice. And one of the best presentations on, on comic book writing I'd seen. And I've seen quite a few. Because, uh, you know, I've got some interest in that area. Yeah. So, having that kind of stuff, I would have liked to have seen uh, a little bit more uh, along those lines in this. But really, they only had, I guess they had four or five tracks of programming going. So, they had a fair amount. Yeah, they officially had uh, five, officially. Uh, One was the celebrity programming track. Um, One had a typo. I believe it was meant to be the spooky Halloween programming track. The spoopy... Well, that's unfortunate. <laughs> they had two tracks of awesome programming. Three. Well, one was all. Oh, you're right. Three. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Panel. They had E, F, G, D, and Room Twelve. I never made it to Room Twelve. I think that was somewhere downstairs. I'm not even sure what they had there. Did I? So, Publishing 101 was in Room Twelve. That leaps out at me. So anyway, um, I think they did have some really good programming. Uh, Halloween programming is not really my thing. I was sad to see that they had to cancel at least four or five panels because of the weather and because of conflicts and such. I think uh, a convention on Halloween, in some respects, makes an awful lot of sense. People are going to dress up, this, that, and the other. But just as we were walking to and from lunch and dinner, I noticed a lot of other stuff going on downtown Mm. around Halloween that this was competing with. Mm Mm-hmm. Not taking advantage of. Yeah. Austin has a a large Halloween culture, if you will. So I think this is a convention. They're better off doing a Halloween convention in some other city. Mm. And I think the plan is to to move to September for uh, Austin Comic Con next year. Wizard World Austin. Okay. First off, I'm not sure what the hell the technical name for this is. But the the, the listing here is Wizard World Comic Con Austin. Mm. A lot of people call it Comic Con. I, having grown up in San Diego, have to have to call it Wizard World Austin. Now, I say that knowing full well that San Diego has no magic right to the term Comic-Con because they haven't protected it. Yeah. But a few short years ago when somebody said, well, this happened at Comic-Con, they meant San Diego. Yeah. Now, they do not. I, uh, I actually saw a photo on Facebook that was posted by a major television network recently that was uh, watch our entire panel from the recent New York Comic Con. Uh, Click this link. It had a still photo of the cast 
from San Diego Comic-Con, and you could tell that because the San Diego Comic-Con logo was repeated endlessly on the backdrop. I had seen something somewhere of somebody talking about Comic-Con, and just Comic-Con, mm. and they meant New York. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, I, I get the confusion in the place. It's just unfortunate. Yeah. Um, next year, the Austin one will be September 23, 24, 25. So, so. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's yes. good. Um, one of the things that I think Austin, or the booths, I should say, did well with this Wizard World Comic Con, and I hope wherever it is for Halloween weekend next year that they do it, um, a lot of the booths had candy that they were giving out, especially to the little kids that were in costume. There were a lot of little kids in costume. I saw a couple in Flash costumes, a couple of Jedis, Mm. saw one girl... Uh, actually, she walked in on the the Jason David Frank one in uh, Green Power Ranger mm-hmm. from the current season. Uh, we saw a little boy as Robin. Yeah, saw a couple actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, saw some really good costumes. We saw a girl as uh, Selena Kyle. Yes, from Gotham. Uh, looked enough like the actress uh, on Gotham. Yeah, to, to pull it off, mm-hmm. which basically meant she had the same hairstyle, <laughs> kind of the short frizzy hair or whatever. Yeah. Um. But that was well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there were some, some good costumes, but it's one of those things that you need wider aisles. Yes. Particularly on a Halloween convention, because I think part of why the the room didn't move is people were stopping to take photos. And that's part of the fun of a convention. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But there comes a point where if I can't move forward, yeah, I can't do anything. Yeah. So that... that Always is a source of frustration for me. What they need to do in next year, future years, they need to do a little bit better draw on uh, booths. Mm. Really, there was only the one publisher, so to to speak of. Um, They should have had maybe more of the gaming stuff. I mean, Austin's a big gaming town. I didn't feel any of those publishers were really in force. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, Bioware, I don't think, had a booth. Yet they sent some people to do some panels and such. So there was an opportunity there to be had. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd, I'd like to see a, a fuller uh, hall of, of exhibitors. And really, because of the weather and a few things like that, the big name stars didn't show here. Yeah. I mean, there was uh, Bruce Campbell and stuff, but Brent Spiner couldn't make it. Marina Baccarin backed out, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. That happens. That's unfortunate. But having a, a little bit deeper well to kind of draw on. And then this year they had uh, Jim Shooter, um, Mike Zek, and uh, uh, the artists. Um, shoot, what was uh, Beatty? All the guys who worked on um, the Secret Wars comic were here. Mm-hmm. But no Secret Wars panel that no we Secret found. No Secret Wars panel. Yeah. Missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that the people running the show, despite it being a comic con, are really hip deep enough into it to, or maybe they're just not of the sort to, to put those panels together themselves. Mm-hmm. But Fingeroth had done a panel today with Shooter, and matter of fact, that was one of the early ones. Um, so why they didn't, uh, it was how to write comics with the Avengers, Jim Shooters, and Spider-Man's Dandy Fingeroth. But why they didn't follow that up with a, here's Secret Wars, you know. Yeah. 30 years later. Because that was around 95-ish. Um, 
And for that matter, you've got the guys who put the, the DeLorean time machine together. Why don't they well, They do a panel on what was it like to reconstruct it? What's it like? It's 30 years later. Mm-hmm. What was it like to meet? You know, I mean, there's, there's, they could do, not that they had bad programming. Mm. They could have had more programming very easily. Mm-hmm. And 45 minutes tw- uh, with 15 minutes off between the hours and stuff makes sense, particularly since it's a bit of a hike from the uh, rooms to the floor. But I don't know. It just seemed like, uh, there were some missed opportunities, mm-hmm. but they've built up a very good convention. Mm-hmm. I don't think this was the best year of the, the Wizard World Austin. I would say maybe last year, year before, were really strong. Mm-hmm. This was this was good. Well, especially given the weather, etc. The weather. It's two days. I mean, yeah, it uh, it had Mother Nature working against it. Yeah, it had some a little bit of an uphill battle. Uh, I'm hoping that since they're doing three days next year, mm-hmm. they'll come back kind of full force. Because um, I think this town has shown they can really support a convention. Mm-hmm. But that support, I think, was split because Halloween, some other stuff go and the weather, of course. Yeah. So I, I want to see the con- convention continue to be here and continue to grow. Yeah. But I know, like, Trevor seemed to leave uh, the convention yesterday unhappy. That's unfortunate. It is, but it's also understandable. And the impression I get for what he's going to conventions for is more to go pick up those rare comics and some stuff like that. And this this was not the convention for that. No, this is not a back issue convention. Yeah, or even go get autographs or original art. I'm not even sure I saw original art, to be honest. Interesting. So, depending what you're going for, You've got to got to judge the convention mm-hmm. and not just it's historically been this way, but it's going to change from year to year. Very true. And that's that's the hard part. But that's also why I put a show like this at that city level. Mm-hmm. I'm not even saying I would consider this a regional one necessarily. Uh, Derek drove down from Dallas. I'll be honest, had the positions been reversed, I would not have driven up from Austin to Dallas for this. No, but. Driving to San Antonio, which is hour, hour and a half. And again, we've done that. We did that recently. And we did that, spent a couple hours at the convention, had a great time. Yeah. So I would, again, next city over. Yeah. Hour, two hour drive. Sure. Four hours, seven with with rain. Forget it. Yeah. But that's me. Yeah. That's my level of of stuff. Derek, of course, was on a panel or two. So, you know, Mm -hmm. it, it made sense. And hopefully he had a great time. We had fun having lunch and dinner with him. Definitely. Again, he does the comics alternative. Uh, his The mandate of that podcast is talking about really almost everything about comics other than superhero stuff. Mm-hmm. Figuring shows like ours and, and many others are covering the mainstream superheroes. He's trying to, to shine his spotlight on just the other stuff. And he's way more into that stuff than I am, certainly. And very well versed on it. He's got a very good knowledge of kind of that broader spectrum of comics. Me, I like me my superheroes. What well, can I say? I thought it was funny, and uh, it was one of the two, uh, Danny Figueroa panels, you'll remember which one probably, when um, he was saying that Marvel brought in Will Eisner and said they wanted a superhero, but he didn't want to write a superhero. So he wrote The Spirit. It wasn't Marvel. It was the 1941. Okay. And another publisher had brought him in to, to do it, not Marvel. Was that it? Okay, sorry. But yeah, you wound up with a guy with a business suit and a mask. Yeah. He's essentially a private eye. 
Yeah, and giving him a mask and no socks and something else was as far as he would go. Striped gloves or something. Yeah, was as far as he would go to make him seem like a superhero. But, you know, again, it's comics are such a diverse uh, medium and whatnot. There's uh, horror genre, westerns, romance. And particularly if you look at it through the, the fullness of time or whatever, not just what's currently being published. There are a ton of genres that, that have gotten more service at various times than others. Um, and right now, you can talk about superhero comics. You're talking about, frankly, the majority of the comics that are selling out there. But not necessarily even the majority of comics that are being published. That was the other interesting comment. And I forget which. And it may have been the Marvel one. But anyways, at one point, Marvel could only do eight comic books a month. They had... A distribution agreement with DC at the time. This was in the 60s. Okay. Because Marvel's had some some really rough patches over the years. Yeah. And DC, knowing that Marvel sometimes flooded the market at that point, said, great, you you have eight slots. So what they did, eight monthly slots, became 16 bi-monthly comics. And then when they kind of got out from under that thing, got a different distribution agreement, that's when they started publishing a lot more. Interesting. But that's one of the many points in comic history that I think people aren't really cognizant of, but that sometimes one publisher almost controls another publisher's destiny for a short period of time. Yeah. DC very much with Marvel at that point. Uh, uh, Malibu, actually, with the first year of Image. They were the ones who actually did the printing and publishing for Image. Yeah. Now, it was still Image brand, Mm -hmm. but that was what kind of facilitated things like the Ultraverse and a few other things Malibu did. Because they had that kind of cash flow and and business going through them. And again, it comes down to just kind of knowing the history and understanding some of the ramifications of it. Yeah. And really, I think one of the biggest things in terms of shifting power in the comic industry was done by Marvel back when they formed, uh, bought out Heroes World, which was a, a distributor, I think, in the Northeast and decided to use it to distribute their stuff nationally. That lasted about nine months, didn't work well, but it's what led to the distribution wars Mm. that had basically people having to pick between all the remaining uh, uh, distributors. Capital City and Diamond were the last two in in the running, and basically that's when people started getting exclusive agreements. So imagine you're a retailer. One month you can order everything through whichever distributor you're dealing with. The next month, crap. All your Marvel stuff, which is a decent, you know, third, half your business. You got to order through Heroes World, set up an account, deal with that, fill out the account, fill the order. And, oh, wait, you still got to deal with your regular distributor. Then over the ongoing months, certain publishers are picking sides with other distributors. So your discounts, which are based on your total volume, are dropping because they're getting split across different publishers or distributors, I mean. And then as DC finally said, well, I'm going with Diamond, then it's like, well, okay, Marvel's over here. DC's over there. That's 80% of your business. It, distributors started... I mean, that was that was the end of the game at that point. Yeah. But there were also some things going around at the time, and this is getting off subject from the convention, but still, uh, that basically, if Diamond were to go under, DC could do this, that, and the other, and whatnot. And it comes down to... And that's part of why I think Danny's panels were so great to go to, is understanding the history of the companies, of... Mm-hmm. How we got where we're at allows you to understand where we're at and why. Mm-hmm. It's easy to say, oh, I think this is bad. Prices are too high or DC should do this or Marvel should do that or whatever. 
But if you don't understand what led to where they're at, mm-hmm. you could say it's bad, but but be right. Well, yeah, prices are too high, or you know, whatever. But be fundamentally wrong in so much of they had no choice. That that's how the, it was going to play out. Mm. You know, Marvel doing some of what they did with the various publishing uh, strategies of the bi-monthlies, split features in the books, that kind of a thing. You could argue, well, they should have given the the Hulk his own book sooner. It's like they couldn't, you know. So, again, I I thought, uh, while I would have loved to have seen the History of Marvel panel that Danny did go twice as long and twice as much depth, he covered a lot of ground in in 45 minutes. It was amazing. Well, and in the 1941, they were talking about the fact that, I guess they were saying the Joker came in as the arch nemesis of Batman, Mm -hmm. and really he both represented and brought in chaos. Which, when you think about it, is what war brought into the world. The one point, and I forget who made it, that somebody brought up, and it might have been Derek, was how in 1940, playing cards was a much bigger pastime Mm -hmm. than it is today. Yes. I'm willing to bet you could have asked the people in that room to put up your, your hand if you have a deck of playing cards that you know where is and use regularly. Yeah. And aside from maybe any poker players, no hands would have gone up. Yeah. You would ask that same question in 1940. So, well, everybody's hand would go, of course, we'll play cards, play bridge, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever. Yeah. So the fact that the Joker represented the wild card in the deck of playing cards made it a very natural character. Mm-hmm. Because I think it was, uh, uh, what even, uh, Paul Benjamin or whatever it was saying, that we think of him as the clown prince of crime. But that's not what he was at that point. Mm-hmm. He was the wild card. And I think he was the one who mentioned the, the playing cards, actually. He and Derek he were and Derek. going back and forth on that. And, well, I was thinking it was very interesting just in terms of Gotham. Mm-hmm. Um, and because they were pointing out, and Derek was, and Paul growing, like I said, back and forth at this point. And the two of them were pointing out that a lot of the villains prior to then were financial villains. Because we were in the Depression. They were financial villains, they were gangsters, they were mad scientists, they were... The Joker is what changed what it meant to be a villain. Mm-hmm. And we, at that point, the villains became a lot more about chaos, and we got a lot more political villains, more of both the dictators and the ones who weren't necessarily out for either revenge or gain, but well, just to make a mess. Yes, because while the Joker would would steal money, it wasn't about stealing money for him. It was about the other stuff. Mm -hmm. And that whole aspect is really, I think, what the show Gotham is fundamentally going to be about by the time it's all said and done. Yeah. Going from the, we've got people who are just gangsters, to we have supervillains. Yeah. And they're fundamentally different. And again, we talked about some of that on the, the, the season one episode of Gotham. Yeah. Which will go up either right before or right after this or around this time. We've recorded it. I just don't remember the release yeah. order. I just, I, I found the panel really relevant to me because of Gotham, mm-hmm. which I thought was kind of interesting. Here we were talking, or they were talking about comic books from 76 years ago or whatever. But also, again, putting it into the context of our entertainment options versus the entertainment options mm. from 76 years ago. Mm-hmm fundamentally different yeah again playing cards were a big deal Mm -hmm. 
now it's like, well, everyone knows what those are, but what's the big deal, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. It's always fun to see the, the, the similarities and differences of what people are talking about and, and why. Yeah. So, certainly if you've got a wizard convention in your neck of the woods, it's worth checking out. If you've got some other local convention, I recommend seeing what it's about. Go to their website, find out about it. Just Google if there's a convention in your area. Yeah, definitely. They're fun to do. Um, you know, in this case, it was a couple of bucks for the parking or whatever, uh, and, you know, food and whatnot. So, you know, uh, I've had cheaper days, but it was a fun day, a lot of fun, good hanging out with, with Derek, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and just make sure you go in for the right reasons. If you're going there to, to see a particular celebrity, be aware they may cancel at the last minute mm-hmm. um, or, you know. Uh, you may have a great time meeting them, whatever. If you're going there for shopping, you may or may not find what you want. Just go in with realistic expectations and just try to have a good time and, you know, be nice to people. Yeah. Because these things can be a lot of fun. Anything else? Does that pretty much do it? I think that does it. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.